everybody. Welcome back to the Empire State Conservatives Podcast. It is me, your host, Evan. Just in case you forgot what I looked and sounded like, this is me. I know it's been a little while. We're on a hiatus, and then uh, I got a little case of the vid, but I am now fully recovered. But, guys, I have with me Jonathan P. Henderson from Red Liberty Media on to talk about Afghanistan. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. Um, it's a pleasure. And, and you've got some nice uh, digs there. Really nice. Oh, I thanks. It's, it. a bunch of, it's a bunch of barriers so no one can see how messy my office is. But, Joe, before we get started, I just want to remind everybody to please visit our store at EmpireStateConservatives.com. All those proceeds go back into fighting leftism in New York. We desperately, desperately need your help. You guys, it is not easy, and there is a lot of work to be done. So, Jonathan, we are here to talk about Afghanistan. We've been talking a lot over the last two days about the plethora of information that is going on. But I want folks to understand, in order to under, in order to understand where we are now, we have to understand how we got here, right? So let's start with, Af you were talking to that this a lot, Afghanistan, <laughs> Afghanistan history, right? The important things that led up to this point that we've been discussing. Well, uh, ancient times, I'm not going to go into all that, but that was the back, what used to be called Bactria, eventually it was the Parthian Empire. Uh, some would call it the graveyard of empires. The British didn't fare too well in the 19th century. Uh, but now I think the important part is uh, in the post-Cold War period, which Afghanistan had remained even then, uh, very socially conservative in the Islamic tradition. Uh, of course, they tried to, uh, they, they understood they had to upgrade their economy because it was still backward pastoral. So they played off uh, during the Cold War, the U.S. and the Soviet Union in terms of like foreign aid, build things like dams, uh, some factories, they build universities at University of Kabul, for example. Uh, by 1973, though, there was a coup thrown by one uh, general, Mohammed uh, Shah Daud. And he and he overthrew his cousin, who happened to be the king at that time. Uh, but you know, but the inter interesting thing is for the tribal wars, and this is going to be important coming up because it's this is how the Taliban now twice has come to power. Uh, began that he began that that dictator began to uh, uh, make uh, gestures like he wanted to recover old land that was in Pakistan. He was a a, sta a staunch Afghan nationalist. So the Pakistan's uh, Pakistan's uh, intel agency, also their secret police, the police, the ISI, began funding uh, proxy fighters among these tribal warlords. That's kind of, and, and since then, the, the activity in terms of jihadist activity and resistance has been going on. Civil wars constantly. Uh, we contend this this continued when the U.S. began to fund uh, what became known as Mujahideen uh, during the Soviet-Afghan War. Uh, when the Soviet-Afghan War ended around that time, uh, you had a, a certain cell of uh, jihadists that in, in the capital city of Islamabad formed a group called Al-Qaeda. That's where, of course, bin Laden was. Um, seven years later, uh, the Taliban came in because the situation was completely destabilized, and it remains so today. Our, our, our military, I don't believe, ever has ever fully appreciated the situation and the and the more parochial uh, tribal areas, uh, because of course this is a Pashtun majority. Uh, that was the language that, uh, what was his name? Bo Bergdahl was speaking, his father was speaking on television. When he, uh, when- And um, for those of you who have seen the movie Lone Survivor, the story of Marcus Luttrell and Operation Red Wing, 
the Pashtun villagers were the same people that protected him against the Taliban while he was injured. Yes. Yes. That's, that's absolutely correct. Um, so right now you've got uh, a, the potential for another civil war going on, and you've got the issue of ISIS cells, uh, Khorasan, that has that that has emerged. There is, of course, there has been uh, for a probably a few years now Taliban fighting them. Uh, so now suddenly the Taliban, which is in bed with Al Qaeda, uh, you've got a whole mess going on over there. Uh, but I think probably before we go into a lot of the geopolitical ramifications. Uh, uh, we should talk about the uh, hostage situation. Uh, you mentioned, you said it was like 600 to 1,200. Is that what you said? Yeah, so there's yeah. six planes that are being held hostage at Kabul Airport right now with anywhere from 600 to 1,200 people on them and approximately 19 American citizens. And as we know, oh, has been going around, everyone knows that, you know, Glenn Beck has sent, you know, money in. You know, they've been trying to get people out. They had Operation Pineapple Express, where they had veterans and social workers going in to get people out. And it really just seems like, once again, private citizens doing way more than our government to ensure the safety of these people who we've either made promises to, to, to get, to help get them out of Afghanistan, you know, when the time came and American citizens, I mean, there should be zero American citizens stranded in Afghanistan. It's just, it's completely unacceptable. Yes. Yes. Uh, the situation we've got right now, uh, I've read a lot of people kind of bunch it up as a combination of the uh, Bay of Pigs, uh, which happened under Kennedy in, two, in 1961, where, which was a failed CIA attempt to overthrow the Castro regime using uh, prison inmates. Uh, uh, then also the, the fall of Saigon, which you've seen, we've seen frequently side-by-side -side photographs and footage of what happened in our embassy in Kabul and what happened in Saigon and South Vietnam after the Democrats defunded uh, all foreign aid and such we had to South Vietnam. Very similar circumstances, uh, incidentally, uh, Evan. Uh, and then, of course, Jimmy Carter's uh, issues with the Iran hostage thing. Uh, went literally, literally, it was a year, it, it was literally a year to the day, I think, from when the hostages were taken, when Ronald Reagan was elected president, um, so forth. But I think uh, the, the the issue now um, is that with the hostage situation. I'm thinking to myself uh, things that we saw with Al Qaeda after you know we had gone over, we had overthrown the Taliban. The Al Qaeda was in disarray. Many of them started moving. Strategic targets started moving, crossing the mountains of Tora Bora into Pakistan. Uh, and of course, we started seeing journalists being taken hostage. Uh, the most notable one off the top of my head I can think of was Daniel Pearl. Uh, he was beheaded on camera. We had, this was of course, a. this happened a few times. Uh, we of course were powerless really to find them because it just kind of happened and they were kind of little sleeper cells if you wish to call because they were in kind of little isolated places. Um, but that's going, to, that's going to be a real concern, I think, moving forward, uh, because if we start seeing that on, uh, on in terms of, you know, like closed caption television or they begin doing it publicly uh, because now they're already issuing sentences for Afghan citizens. For example, if you if you uh, if you rob if you rob a store or whatever, or a little merchant shop, your penalty is going to be your your arms going to be amputated. Yeah, they um, seem to be reinstating Sharia law. And I mean. 
I don't know how the White House plans on getting these people out of Afghanistan because the White House told CNN that they no longer have resources in Afghanistan. So it's either a major mishap and a complete miscalculation on how to handle the situation, which is very obviously what happened. But also, are they running covert CIA ops out of there and they're just trying to tell, you know, they're just lying to the American people? Or you could, uh, or you know, you could see the ultimate, uh, uh, the ultimate uh, emission of failure by suddenly you start seeing them sending a few thousand more troops back there. Uh, which, of course, uh, suddenly not only did you uh, fail to secure hostages in a peace in a in in the sense that you're, it was a peaceful transition from wherever, um, but now suddenly you can no longer even say the war is over. The war is not over. They're already launching drone strikes. But uh, I don't but, even know how you can send troops back there right now when you see the amount of equipment, ammunition, firearms, helicopters, tanks yes. that were left behind and basically gifted to the Taliban. So to send troops back, it's now asking them to fight against this, these you know tribesmen who are now armed to the teeth with American military equipment. And I think that they would never they would never do it. I think they would rather let the whole situation devolve into chaos and civil war and let these people be hostages for months rather than send troops back in. Because then, you know, Joe Biden will probably forget. He'll be like, oh, I sent troops back. You know, that was like two, three days ago. Who cares? But, you know, I think that that is the ultimate admit of defeat. And it's just it's there's no support for that by anybody. No, there's not. Uh, of course, I think Lindsey Graham, you know, said, well, a little bit. I'm sure we're going to be back. He's a neocon, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, neocons are always looking for a, a war to start. And if you're a neoliberal like Obama, you know, you, you go and you, as you did in the Arab Spring, you use the CIA and other intel in, uh, agencies to overthrow, try to overthrow every Arab country at once. And not for and for good show, Ukraine, by the way. And just, um, draw, you know, draw drone strikes on civilian populations. Let's not forget about that. Oh, yes. American. Yes. Yeah, Good job, you know, Obama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, which Biden seems to be indicating he'd be willing to do to actual American citizens on American soil. Now, you know, F-15 strikes and hinting at, you know, nukes and what have you. The problem with the one of the biggest issues that's going to be here is that Biden, there is no conceivable way right now Joe Biden can have a foreign policy. Now, that sounds crazy. But he is so woke, he is so powerless, he is so weak and feeble. He cannot, he can't even sit there and lecture China on human rights violations without the Chinese diplomat looking at him and saying, wait a second. You know, it says your your country does not even have any confidence in, in its in its democracy. He's right. Uh, and uh, he, he says, you know, you've got you've got a race issue in your country. How dare you uh, criticize us on uh, a you know a, a genocide in in uh, East Turkestan or Xinjiang because Uyghur the Uyghurs are Turkic Muslims which by the way they're related to a lot of those in the Khorasan region we're going to talk about in a bit and Russia was the same way I mean Putin sits there on the tele the television in an interview and he says he asked the the uh, I guess the token uh, interviewer for NBC says did your did your government uh, issue the order to kill that girl inside the capital being, you know, uh, Ashley Babbitt, he can't, but Joe Biden cannot have a foreign policy. He can't just go in there and tell the, the Taliban to do this, but he sure, sure hell is uh, bringing back a lot of, of uh, Afghan refugees, some of which we're real, we're now learning were never vetted. 
uh, we've there have been incidents already, not just in America, but in Britain. Uh, interestingly, because in Britain they had a situation where somebody in Scotland uh, said he pledged uh, his fealty to the Taliban. But a bit like the situation of our training their military for 20 years, where you had a, probably about 40% of their military that once they were trained, they'd go back to their tribal regions and became enemies. That was the problem. And so when Biden said that they don't have the will to fight, he's not totally wrong about that because actually they were using their, their training uh, against us. So yeah. I've heard of, yeah. No, I think the other big part that we have with Joe Biden had you know, like you said, he can't have a foreign policy is because it's obvious to everyone in the world that this man is not mentally there and that there's no teeth behind anything. It's the same thing. Everyone always asks me, they're like, oh, do you think this would have happened the same way under Trump? And I go, you know what? It might have, but maybe not, because other countries were afraid of President Trump. They knew he had teeth. They knew he was willing to go in and kick ass when the time came which is why when we took down ISIS, right? ISIS had a caliphate the size of Ohio. American military went in under the orders of President Trump and they took them out. People were afraid of retaliation. No one is afraid of Joe Biden. He's not even there. We've seen it at all these summits he goes to and people are just like waving him off like, okay, Joe, we get it. Like, it's time for your nap. No one is afraid of him. And the future of foreign policy in this country is in, in, in disarray. Because you had Obama's nonsense that he did for years with the Iran deal and all this other garbage, which Democrats have been telling me, oh, the Iran deal is the future of foreign policy. So the future no. of foreign policy is complete garbage. I mean, it could be. It could be the really? future. It doesn't mean it's going to be effective. It's a terrible policy. But if that's the direction that Democrats are going to go, then yes, it's technically the future. But it's not going to be any type of effective. Joe Biden is clearly not mentally there. No foreign leader respects him. No no enemy combatants are going to fear him because there is nothing there. So you're right, he can't have a foreign policy with this because there is no bite. There is there's not even a bark. Like they asked him, they asked him about pulling out of Afghanistan. He goes, What are you talking about, man? That was four or five days ago. How how is that a response? That's not a response to the president of the United States of America. So it doesn't matter if it was two weeks ago. You're not responding to the question. You're not responding to the issue. And you're not responding to what's going on because he's not there. So who like someone else is pulling the strings. Everybody knows it. No one respects us now. And this is this is going to lead to worse things, especially in the Middle East. Yeah, Joe Biden, uh, you know, he kind of gave a uh, a Pol Pot type of answer to uh, George Stephanopoulos when, you know, like Pol Pot says, well, I wasn't responsible for that. Of course, he gave the order, but it basically is like, I just gave the order. I didn't, you didn't see me shoot those people out there. You know, kind of a Heath Ledger Joker kind of thing too going. Um, but, you know, the, the the Iran deal, as you were mentioned, that was, ba I did I did the review for that for my ex-congressman. It was nothing, it was the biggest uh, act of extortion uh, of a, political extortion on an international level, probably in history, because I think it was, at last count, a $140 billion that we basically paid to Iran, almost like a, I would say, a ransom of some kind. Uh, probably to shut up about something that we had done that, you know, we, we shouldn't have. The problem with, the problem, however, in, in terms of Iran, uh, as you mentioned, though, is they control, uh, they, they have client states. And they're, of course, the Shiite regions. They've got, you know, they've had for quite a while 
Lebanon and Syria. Well, Syria was controlled, largely controlled by ISIS for the longest time. And frankly, I think actually a portion of ISIS is still there, uh, but they don't call it ISIS. It's the news refront. It's um, an ISIS variant, right? Everything's yeah, a variant. It was one half of ISIS. It was one half of ISIS. Um, and Iraq, you know, Iraq is now has more or less become part of Iran's uh, sphere of influence. The Ayatollah, the Ayatollah has long wanted that. That was the that was the whole basis for why Saddam Hussein invaded uh, or attacked uh, Iran in 1980, and you had the bloodiest war the world has seen uh, since World War II. Uh, now that once once Obama quite hastily left. Iraq, he, of course, is just like Biden, but on a less bad scale, <laughs> uh, you know, left quite hastily. Within two or three days, Iran was in there and they were setting up shop, uh, the Al-Quds unit. And uh, but see, that's the but, you know, that's that's going to be the thing. Iran, um, part of that Khorasan region, uh, if you want to here in a minute, uh, pull that map up we talked about. Um Eastern Iran and actually much of Iran uh, is part of a region. Yeah, that, thank you. Is no problem. That region on the eastern side right now that is considered Khorasan. So, for for instance, uh, you're going to have like Afghanistan, which is largely Khorasan. You see uh, several former Soviet republics, uh, for example, Uzbekistan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan. Uh, some it kind of overlaps maybe a little bit into Pakistan, but there's also, and I didn't catch this earlier, that little blip right there around where Xinjiang province is, where the concentration camps for the Uyghurs are, into extreme western China. These are areas that, that ISIS-K or ISIS-Khorasan um, are going to are going to target over time. That's their that's going to be their turf. So it's going to be interesting to see now that we are out of Afghanistan, China is moving in with the Belt and Road Initiative, which China, that's going to be China's way, if they can pull it off, to take over the world by way of their economies. Um, it's going to be interesting to see because now suddenly it puts it puts uh, the Taliban in the position of, of what are they going to, how are they going to engage in relations with uh, Iran? Now, Iran is being propped up by the Chinese Communist Party's regime. Uh, they're on the brink of collapse. Trump's uh, uh, sanctions he slapped on them uh, did a lot of damage, severe damage. Um, so now that you know, you you have to suggest say that ISIS is ISIS uh, K. Uh, let's just call them ISIS because it's all part of the same group. Uh, are going to be crossing over the borders into eastern Iran. They're going to be they're going to be challenging the Taliban and the tribal. Uh, uh, lords that have aligned with the Taliban, uh, who joined the Taliban after we, uh, after Joe Biden uh, broke the agreement that Trump had brokered that would have had us out by May the 1st. And um, there's going to be a civil war. Uh, they've already talked about it. It probably has already started. Uh, it probably, the risk is it, is it going to, is it going to uh, spill over into Afghanistan? What about those former Soviet republics? I call them the stands. <laughs> uh, the easiest way to remember them. What are they going to do there? Um, and uh, what's going to happen, you know, and if that happens, because you got to remember there is lots of open terrain there. Uh, so you have to figure a lot of a lot of territory will fall very quickly if they do like they did in from 2013 to maybe early 2016 in Syria and Iraq. If that happens, Iran uh, destabilizes. What will they do? Will Iran be able to do anything in terms of uh, reinforce Syria, Lebanon, 
Uh, Lebanon, of course, you know, is more or less ruled by uh, Hezbollah. Uh, are they going to be able to uh, maintain their operations in Iraq? Iraq, you know, is once again, it was about, I guess you would say, the eastern top third of the country, northwestern third of the country was under uh, uh, ISIS occupation as part of the caliphate. Uh, and what about Yemen? That's on the Arabian Peninsula. They've been there. There has been there's been a bit, there has been quite a bit of fighting uh, between the, uh, Saudi Arabia and the new uh, Iranian-backed government. And there was, uh, I guess, uh, more or less in a similar scenario with Hezbollah, it's more or less run by the Houthi uh, organization. So what's going to happen there? Suddenly, is ISIS going to, if Iran is destabilized, or will they soon destabilize as well? Uh, because now suddenly, what's Joe Biden going to do? Can he? Will he be able to convince everybody to go to war in Syria? Right, and once again, this again goes back to Joe Biden having no teeth, no one being afraid of him. It's groups like ISIS, groups like the Taliban, the people who were assisting the Americans in fighting against it, the people who didn't like the Taliban. They're not going to feel like they have anyone to back them anymore. So they're just going to most likely roll over or get wiped out. So now you have these groups completely overtaking the, these areas. And it's, what are these? They're terror groups. You know, ISIS is a terror group. This has far, this really does have far reaching implications. And I don't hear anybody talking about it. The gross growth of this new ISIS variant, which is, I'm just going to call it that, keep it simple, can have really, you know, it's, it's bad news. It is really bad news for the rest of the world, and I think it's being downplayed. Yeah, um, you're, and you're right. Uh, the problem with you know the problem with, with Afghanistan, and really, it's going to be anywhere we go from here on. Uh, uh, America has uh, completely rejected the role of religion, the Judeo-Christian uh, principles that have de defined Western civilization um, for at least uh, 1,600 years. Um, so now suddenly we've got, you know, we don't really stand for much anymore. We're, we're approaching, we're headed down toward the path where we are as secular as the Soviet Union. We're, you know, in the Soviet Union, your God was the Soviet state. Uh, so now here, you know, with us, it's wokeness. Well, if you've seen, you've seen probably uh, images of a, ra a rainbow flag over our, our embassy in Kabul, as well as our, as well, I guess, as some military bases in the, in the country. And in a country that is, uh, even even when we controlled them basically as a puppet state, uh, still was extremely Islamic traditionalist, fundamentalist at heart. So you're you're sitting there trying to, uh, uh, I guess you would say, indoctrinate uh, a non-Western culture into uh, into something that's woke, into something that's secular. Well, that was tried again there in the 1970s with the Soviet, when the Soviet Union uh, invaded. Actually, before that, because the year before that, uh, the Sour Revolution happened, and what ended up leading to that was you saw you had a you had two men. Uh, uh, one of them's name was Hafizullah Amin, and the other one was uh, Nir Muhammad Taraki, who tried to do land reforms. In other words, they confiscated land from the the tribal warlords, and they tried to redistribute them to the uh, peasants. Uh, that didn't go well. They tried to, they, they, they had women take off their hijabs and such. That didn't go well with either. And you end up having a major culture clash. And that was one of the reasons the Soviet Union invaded because they were afraid that the jihadists, the, 
the Mujahideen was going to cross over the border into the Soviet Union where there was a, his, a heavily uh, Islamic population and therefore the risk of radicalization. And it also had to be around the same time too as the Iran-Iranian revolution. And I mean, that's, what, that, that's where we got pictures of Osama bin Laden wearing bell bottoms. Oh yeah, yeah, he was being, yeah, you, you could even see him. I think I saw a picture of him, uh, uh, young Osama bin Laden being trained uh, and I think maybe it was, uh, uh, I guess it was maybe Zib Brzezinski. And yes, that's Mika Brzezinski's father, but he was Jimmy Car Jimmy Carter's uh, national security advisor. Uh, he was over there, uh, over you know, uh, presiding uh, for a bit over what was going on in terms of training, uh, provisions of weapons uh, in terms of the proxy forces within the Mujahideen. That was where bin Laden was. That was where ultimately the what became known as Al-Qaeda was born from. Uh, and... It did. Communism failed then. Uh, they weren't going. The the tribal uh, uh, warlords who were Islamic fundamentalists were never going to embrace that. They're never going to embrace Western values. Uh, I'm read. I actually read a headline uh, either a day ago or so that the European Union wants to send a uh, send a, uh, forces if they ever actually form a military. I would say now after what has happened, that's becoming more likely. They want to send forces over to Afghanistan and help and help them, I guess, teach them to be more woke like they are. Uh, good luck. Europe is even more secular than we are. I mean, the whole thing's kind of ridiculous. And if you look at the constant failure of U.S. foreign policy in Afghanistan, it's like we just spent like even beyond the last 20 years, like we literally spent the last 20 years replacing the Taliban with the Taliban. It was a complete waste of time, complete waste of money, complete waste of American lives. But if you look at it, it's never worked in the region. It's a cultural difference that you're not going to overcome. You're not going to overcome Islamic fundamentalism. It, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen. And the left somehow thinks, and not even just the left, it's neocons as well, you know, with nation building and all this other nonsense and all these wars. It's never going to work. And the only thing we can hope to have, I believe, is just a relative amount of peace, like you saw with the Abraham Accords with President Trump, creating these, you know, these peace accords between Israel and these other Islamic nations. But you're never going to have, honestly, you're never going to have a fully westernized Middle East. It's just it's not going to happen. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. Uh, and uh, I think it's I think this also speaks uh, truth to power also. Uh, the United Nations Charter is entirely is entirely based on Western values, uh, particularly uh, those from the uh, Napoleonic Code uh, that were largely inspired by certain aspects of, or actually large aspects of the French Revolution. Uh, that's you know that we have you know they're they're not, they don't take into account really anything else but you know Western norms. So we felt that we felt the. Uh, we're entitled because of you know, in the United States, we were the most powerful nation in the world, economically, culturally, socially, financially, and what have you, that we could simply go and export America everywhere else, while at the same time today, particularly, we are destroying the institutions that make America at home. Uh, how on earth we can convince people here to, to support nation building uh, of that kind where effectively we should we should set, we should make it almost synonymous with the idea of westernizing the world, uh, McDonaldization. That was a common term in the eighties. Uh, I'm not sure it's the height of arrogance. Uh, the United Nations, frankly, I think, has lost its relevance uh, in light of the last twenty years. 
how can you have on the human rights panel uh, uh, Islamic regimes of, you know, with brutal records with regards to women that we in the West would consider completely unacceptable? Uh, or China, which, you know, speaks for itself. Uh, how is it? And I think, too, uh, the, the reception, the, the poor reception, even out of the puppet regime that we had put in place, you know, that was democratic in name only because it's not, quote, Western democracy style. Uh, how is it that you, know, you can you can go and assassinate Osama bin Laden in Pakistan? You know, they acted like, of course, you'll recall, uh, oh, we didn't know he was here. And then it became a major international incident because you after all, you killed one of their own. You killed a fellow Muslim. And you had your in the and you the first president of Afghanistan still in power, uh, Hamid uh, Karzai, who came out and said that if he had to choose between a a potential war between the United States and Pakistan, he would side with Pakistan. Uh, I, I read where one individual had written about this. He said he says at that point he says I was living. Now says if I were the president of the United States and I had heard that I said I would say pack my bags up and go because I'm not getting any support out of the government. They don't embrace America. That's just a fact. Yeah, you're not out there doing anything positive because when push comes to shove, they're not even on your side. I mean, it's what it's like, really, what are you doing? It's we're flushing money down the toilet. And this is the biggest problem that I have. And I know a lot of other conservatives have is that the government doesn't understand that they I mean, I think they might understand, but what the left doesn't understand is that the government essentially takes your money and then flushes it down the toilet. They have no idea what they're doing with any of this. They just throw money at stuff. It's, oh, we need to send in, you know, 30,000 more tanks. All right, go buy more tanks. Oh, uh, we need to raise funds. All right, property tax increase, all these other. And it's just, what are they doing with it? They literally, literally 20 years replacing the Taliban with the Taliban. Like, it's what are we doing? We, and you said it before, we're destroying the institutions at home. We're not even taking care of our own people. We don't, we're not even taking care of our own veterans properly. What on earth are we doing in the Middle East? What have we been doing in the Middle East? What, like, really, what is the point? Uh, well, let's just say uh, you probably don't remember the Clinton years in the White House. Uh, other than fact, very you know, little. I wasn't very <laughs> political when I was in elementary yeah, school. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but you know, he, you know, I always, you know, the, the movie Wag the Dog came out and it was appropriate for the time because it was largely based on the fact that Clinton had so many scandals going that suddenly, you know, in the middle, when news of Monica Lewinsky would heighten, uh, we suddenly we decided to launch an airstrike over Baghdad <laughs> at the time. You know, we, we would escalate the war in the former Yugoslavia in, in Bosnia and Kosovo. Um, not to say that there wasn't there wasn't need for it because it would have destabilized Europe and that's a NATO issue. So we were dutiful by duty uh, bound to do something about that. But I mean, this is going to be interesting here because uh, some people haven't considered this, but having what we just learned about uh, uh, Anthony Fauci, uh, now that we know for a fact that there, there is no doubt he lied because they have a 900-page series of documents, uh, the Intercept just released about you know the fact that. Yes, we did invest under his orders in the uh, Wuhan virus lab. Are the Demo what will the Democrats do now that Biden is having this with Biden's disaster of Afghanistan? Will they suddenly pivot towards uh, finally throwing Fauci under the bus? Like, oh, my God, we had no idea this was going on. Uh, how corrupt this man is. Uh, and then used that as a means of kind of detracting attention from Afghanistan. That's an interesting point. 
you know, uh, they, they uh, but they're control of the media on an unprecedented level now, like such I've never seen. That's going to be interesting. What what they will do, what crap they will do inside of Afghanistan. I mean, if I if I had to guess, I'd go pivot to Fauci, and then after about like twenty four hours, oh no, there's another white supremacist attack, some sort of mass shooting, and then <laughs> pivot it all to right wing Trump supporting gun owners, and that's how they'll erase the entire thing. And they'll never talk about any of it ever again. Oh yeah, oh you know it, you know it. But here's the here's the, you were mentioning uh, uh, the issue with uh, the CIA. I was thinking, based on that map you sh- the, the map I provided, that you know with the idea that if I were going, I mean, and I'm basing this somewhat off of how the CIA funded uh, the Mujahideen during the uh, Afghan, the Soviet Afghan war. Instead of trying to, you know, topple one regime or another, and particularly if it crosses borders like into Iran and then, you know, the stands, the stands bordering the country, um, will they will they begin to do some things to make sure that they stay in a perpetual state of war so much so that they really can't function enough to uh, form a cohesive plan for international terrorism, covert operations themselves? I've got to wonder, what do you think? What's your thoughts? I mean, it's definitely possible, but I what I'm looking at more, and you mentioned it's, uh, or it might have been before we even started, you know, the, re- the new relationship between China and the Taliban, now that we're talking about in terms of opium and fentanyl, that I think is possibly one of the things that, again, no one is really talking about. And we have, if fentanyl's a real problem. I mean, if, listen, we can talk about George, no, let's not talk about George Floyd, never mind. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it for but you know, again, fentanyl is a real issue in America right now. We had a, there was some celebrity. I forgot what her name was. I saw it in passing, and she had they. She was at a party, and her and a few other people had done coke, but it was laced with fentanyl, and they got Ooh. extremely sick. I forgot what the exact story was. It's if you, you use the Google, anyone listening, you'll find it. Yeah. But it was cocaine laced fentanyl. So what's the next step? Is cocaine laced marijuana i mean um fentanyl laced marijuana and fentanyl is deadly and it is coming out of china and if they have a higher supply of opium they're going to be able to manufacture this at a higher rate and if they they have these deals where they're supplying the taliban with you know i mean taliban has plenty of weapons now because of uh you know joe biden the pullout method, which didn't work out very well for him. Um, pullout. Oh Biden is definitely not a pullout king. I mean, that's just that's just a fact. But if if we're looking at it, and whatever deal China is going to make with the Taliban, they're going to basically be to be like, we will support you against the Americans. We'll support you against you know Europe. We'll, we'll you know we'll get its money, its guns, its tanks, its training, whatever it is, and you give us opium at a discounted price. China will ship fentanyl all over the world. They don't care. As we've seen, again, we've seen it from China over the last, like, two decades. Not even longer. Every two years, there's a serious disease that comes out of China. Oh, yeah. So either, again, conspiracy theory, not really that much of a theory. They are killing off their older population because when you're a communist nation and you have to provide for everyone, you can't afford to have people who are old and who are not contributing and just taking up resources. So you want yes. them dead. It's the same reason why they murder drug dealers. And, you know, they put these other people in basically in concentration camps and they sterilize them 
because you have to control the population. Same reason why they had the one child law. This is these are things that tyrannical regimes do. And China gets stronger. They do with their, their relationship with the Taliban. It only makes them stronger. It, it, there is no downside to China for China. Not there's a downside for us. There's no downside for China with having a relationship with the Taliban. And God forbid they really want to hurt us. They can help fund terrorism through the Taliban. I mean, they'll, they'll do it indirectly with guns and money and all this stuff. But they could be they could do it directly. They could be like, hey, we'll provide transport. We'll provide this. We'll provide that for you. I mean, this this is serious business. And it's just, again, mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it. Oh, of course not. Because, you know, they got they got to uh, uh, make sure they protect their little uh, gravy train in the White House. Uh, whoever happens to actually be the real president. Uh, who knows? Um, yeah, uh, China, of course, right now, and this would be a topic for another time, uh, is more projects more power outwardly than they really have inwardly. Uh, they're having a lot of problems uh, in terms of their government, and, and Xi Jinping is centered this. Um, nevertheless, um, there is, I think, uh, one issue, though, too, Russia. Russia, you know, there is a ever since I think the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, there there has been what they that and they are the centerpiece of this group, the Commonwealth of Independent States. It's sort of in some ways a bit like the European Union, but I don't, but it's not as centralized. But you know, uh, but with the uh, the stands as I call them, uh, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, um, you've got the issue now where you know where you're talking. Uh, uh, if the jihadists cross over into those Khorasan uh, areas uh, and they destabilize the region, you know, there's already concerns of whether Russia will have to do something militarily. Now, you can imagine felt with, you know, part of the reason the Soviet Union finally collapsed was the fact that we, well, we funded the, the, uh, the Mujahideen to basically bleed their resources dry. Uh, that's going to be interesting because uh, that's going to destabilize Russia. But for this, uh, segue this to America, uh, again, the border. We have people crossing the border who aren't necessarily, who not, not all of which are from Latin America. And by we, the way, we saw it before. We saw they had people coming in from Africa. They had people coming in from Europe and from Asia coming through the southern border. Well, yeah. uh, and, and here's a here's a crazy one. They had they had a group of people with an Israeli flag coming in. Like, what? I mean, that's crazy. Uh, but and yeah, they have they've had Chinese. Uh, they, I guess they were like spies. Where they were crossing over. Why? But you know, you got to imagine those drug cartels uh, are most certainly are probably doing business with, uh, without question, doing business with uh, the mullahs in Afghanistan. Because again, they're going to be purchasing uh, poppies uh, for the purpose of you know like their heroin trade. Uh, and that's another problem. Mexico, in, in a lot of ways, in Afghanistan are like narcocratic uh, uh, cousins, if you want to call that. Narcocracy being a, a government basically run by drug cartels. Uh, and, you know, they're going to be doing business with, with Afghanistan. Uh, so, yeah, there's a problem. And they're crossing over into our country and attacking. At, a lot of times, we've actually seen me Mexican military detail, I believe, actually attack our border forces. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. It's not just your drug cartels. It's not just your gangs like uh, MS-13 that are crossing over and, and killing people, uh, committing atrocities that would make ISIS blush. Uh, but that's a real problem. We're not, and we don't know who's crossing our borders. We don't know if there's, suddenly, like, there's radioactive material for like a dirty bomb or worse. 
because, well, Joe Biden doesn't really see fit to uh, uh, really pay attention to who crosses over. Or if they do arrest them, it's that catch and release day. They arrest them. They say, well, you got a trial date, you know, go and, and send no more. And then they leave and then they never show up. So we've got a real problem. I mean, it's it is very disturbing. And I just want to touch on this a little bit, and getting your thoughts on this, because this has been a few years coming that I've had this theory. And it's not really that much of a theory. It's pretty well backed up is that the Democrat Party has no interest in solving any problem ever. Not all. all they want to do is make everything worse. And there's a reason for this. When things get worse, people get desperate. And they will constantly tell people, the only way we can fix this is if you give us more power. The only way we can fix this is if we give you, you give us more power, right? All these, you know, deadly police incidents that have been a subject of riots, whether right or wrong, you know, whether the shoot was a good shoot or a bad shoot, they all happen in Democrat cities with Democrat mayors, with Democrat police chiefs. So it's not like the Democrats are doing anything great to help these, pe these people who are in these terrible situations. Um, lockdowns, con you know, high de high COVID death rates. Nothing is getting better. Nothing has gotten better under Democrats for at least 20 years, minimum. And if we look at it and you look at Bill de Blasio, which is a prime example in New York City, where he just keeps making things worse. Every, th every single decision he makes makes things worse. It, you know, we're going to we're going to remove police from the streets. You know, the, the New York state getting rid of bail and making uh, crime rates rise. It's all a plan to federalize everything under the Democrat Party and give the Democrat Party complete control over the nation. And I, I, it's from to me, it's blatantly obvious that that's what they're doing. They're making it so bad that they will then convince the people who are ignorant of how everything is happening that the only way to fix things is to give them supreme power, much like Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. <laughs> But it's oh, it's it's the only thing that makes sense because you can't be that incompetent. Like everyone knows that when you tell police they can't do their job, crime goes up. Everyone knows this. It's a fact. It happens every time. Everyone knows that the reason why the bail system is in place is to get people to show up to court. It had a 96 percent success rate, the bail system. If anything in the world had a 96% success rate, you wouldn't stop doing it. It, it just, the whole thing, it, it, it can't be incompetence. It has to be on purpose. And we've seen it from this administration too, where, oh, the border, whatever, is going to do whatever. It doesn't matter. And things just get worse and worse and worse. And the economy gets worse. What did they have to do? All they had to do was open up the economy. They didn't have to change any policies from the last administration because the depression was due to COVID. So once you got rid of COVID restrictions and open up businesses and allow people to go back to work, everything would fix itself. It can't be incompetence. It has to be on purpose. Yeah, uh, but I, I would take it a, a little more uh, in a slightly different direction and and perhaps even more uh, not and deceptive because there's there are probably about three or four bills that if they were to somehow pass them, uh, they would secure themselves pretty much a one-party state, at least at the federal level. Uh, and then eventually it would trickle down in a, and we would end up like with California, where you couldn't get elected dog catcher if you're a Republican and, and large chunks of it. Um, one, they, if they ever pass, if they ever grant amnesty, 
Some are saying now it could be even be as high as 35 million people. We don't even know how many are here. Uh, you can imagine that probably nine out of every 10 of those will be Democrat voters. So they will vote Democrat. They never lose another election. My home state of Tennessee, probably within two or three election cycles, would be Democrat, a blue state. Uh, Texas would be gone immediately. Arizona would be gone. Florida would be gone. Georgia would be gone, and so forth. Um, number two would be you know the uh, HR one, the election bill. Uh, they call it you know I guess the John Lewis whatever. Uh, and, you know, if they do that, you'll have a situation permanently like with California and to a degree like you saw, like in Pennsylvania and Nevada, where, you know, you will have ungodly numbers of mail-out ballots. You'll have no way of being able to uh, verify the, the veracity of whether or not those votes were from people who are legally living in a specific area, if they're even alive. Uh, um, or, you know, how many times somebody may uh, vote. Uh or, you know, or what have you, they could, you know, they're, how could you go from about a five or percent, four or five or six percent of error rate in 2016 in terms of uh, mail-in balloting nationwide uh, to where it was below, where it was probably less than one half of one percent. Uh, the, the third one, I believe, would be the, uh, would be uh, the, the nationalization, uh, well, not nationalization, it'll be packing the Supreme Court. When they do that, you know, it'll basically become a, uh, a conveyor belt of legislation by way of judicial fiat uh, in the event that the Democrats cannot pass legislation they want, which is what why they're griping about right now, for example, with the uh, Texas abortion law. Uh, now suddenly they're threatening to pack the course, or I think now the, the suggestion is instead of packing it, they would do like term limits. Uh, and so they, you know, that was their thing because, you know, the you know how the, the book on the Democrats has, has been most of my life. When they can't get what they want, they want to change the rules so only yep. they can win. They did the same uh, thing with the Electoral College. Whenever they lose an election, oh, Electoral College is oh, outdated. That was the fourth one. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what they'll do. Uh, of course, suddenly they're not talking as much about that because, you know, in theory, we're told that Joe Biden won both the popular vote and the Electoral College. We're told. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I think uh, the, the, that's what I think the problem is going to be right there. In terms of the social aspect, which you mentioned, aside from the crime or whatever, I think uh, the problem, again, with the Black Lives Matter, that's particularly problematic because it's a broader endemic issue with trying to, you know, uh, the de try to pry black voters away from the Democratic Party. They they have it. They they had they remarkably did a wonderful job in terms of intimidating black potential black uh, defectors to Trump. Uh, ironically on that Charlemagne, the God program, when Biden says, well, you know, if you're, if you, if you're having a tough time to turn deciding between me and Trump, then you ain't black. Because at that point, Tr Biden did something more profound, which was he made it America truly a black versus white thing scenario, which, you know, if you're, if you're black, you're a Democrat. So, you can be a black person, which is nine, you know, for every Candace Owens, there's nine George Floyds. You can be Hispanic. If you're Hispanic and you don't vote Democrat, you're not really Hispanic. The same with Asians, the same way. Oh, and you, and if you're white, well, you're, you're a racist by birth, but you're more redeemed, you have redeeming qualities if you vote Democrat. And, and that's what, and that's, they have a knack for basically pitting people sort of as the undesirables versus, you know, the, the oppressor and the oppressed class. We are, if you're a white man, you're you're the scum of the earth. They've even got to the point now uh, where they're calling us uh, uh, parasites, scum, uh, 
viruses or cells, you know, things that you would have heard in, in regimes like, you know, the Third Reich or, you know, in, in, in response to Jews, to, to Slavs and Gypsies. What happened to them? Well, the Holocaust. And uh, that to me, it's very alarming what I'm hearing out of them. Uh, this is not a t traditional socialist or Marxist ideology, because what they've done is they've effectively syncretized socialism with uh, with a corporate backing. That's more like fascism. That's globalism in, in a sense. Socialism in the sense that we would know it like in the USSR probably could never happen here because the businesses would never allow for the government to nationalize their industry. But what they have been able to do is basically lobby the government for favors in exchange. I give I give the politicians money to uh, who will serve my interests. The Republicans are no longer that party. anymore. We never were in that way because, you know, the corporations used to be kind of the stand against big government usurpation of power in the private sector. <clears throat> I mean, and yeah, I mean, we, we saw this during COVID, though. It was, you know, Walmart and Target are safe to be opened, but the mom and pop shop, no, it's too dangerous. Too dangerous, but don't worry, Target's safe. I mean, the whole th it, the whole thing's a joke, man. I mean, it's it's not we've looking had, like it's going to get any better anytime we've soon. Had, we've had the biggest transfer of wealth from the middle class to the wealthiest 1% in human history last year by, some, by a factor, I think, of 40%. Uh, so that's now your government. And anytime they want to now, if, you know, for example, with COVID, with the COVID vaccines or the mass mandates, they're perfectly within their legal right, currently anyway, uh, to where they say, well, you know, you don't get you, you don't get yourself a vaccine. Well, that's fine. The government may not require it of you, but we aren't going to let you come back to work or we'll fire you. Uh, just today, there was news of a student on a college campus. Uh, well, he wasn't on his college campus. He was taking a, 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 a remote uh, course. Uh, learning course at his from his house he had not been vaccinated and guess what uh he was kicked out of he was kicked out of his class maybe out of the school too and well the totalitarian goes through yes. the internet like you didn't yeah. know that come on john oh yeah yeah right yeah, right, called, right through the internet right th right through your wi-fi just cool. covid right in your face it's called bs uh but you know <laughs> when you when you have when you when the media no longer even pretends that uh they're uh, you know, they, they're in the tank for a specific political party anymore. Uh, they've really cranked up the, the propaganda and they've created a, 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 a massive amount of cognitive dissonance. Uh, you could provide someone with verifiable information right now. There would be, you know, you could provide, you know, if I, if I showed a Democrat person, a Democrat maybe in my, uh, my blog, and I showed him documents of Dr. Fauci's 900 pages or those 300 page pages worth of emails from three months ago. Guess what? They you they wouldn't be able to uh, uh, digest that. We've because done that. We've done that with the police shootings when mm -hmm. people just don't get. I'm mean, I show people the numbers. Oh no, no, the police are hunting black men in the street. I'm like, but the actual numbers don't support that narrative at all. Oh no, no, it doesn't matter. You don't know. You don't know. I heard on CNN. I'm giving you the actual FBI numbers. It's telling you twice as many unarmed white men than black men every year for like the last five years. Oh, no, 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 that can't be true. Then where are you getting your numbers from? So the made up numbers on CNN and from these BLM commercials that you see, those are real. But the actual report of statistics, those are fake. Yeah. And I, I guess one last point, because I'm sure we're running short on time. Yeah, we got about three minutes. Uh, now, we know Ben Shapiro's uh, famous or infamous remark. He says, the facts don't care about your feelings. 
but I do believe uh, Lauren Southern had a good point too, where she were in, not refuting what he said, but simply acknowledging another fact, which is to say uh, the facts may not uh, may not care about your feelings, but but the feelings of some people don't care about the facts. That's you know the the uh, uh, the irresistible force versus the immovable object, right? It's people who believe in subjective reality versus objective reality. And objective reality is what's actually going on. And subjective is your perspective and how you feel. And we cannot operate as a society or in just really, yeah, just as a society, when you have that much of a gap, when you have one side that is completely subjective and the other side that's trying to operate in an objective manner. Yeah. One last thing I'll say, and now, and I guess we'll be finished. Uh, uh, when you have a president who has been on, who is now on record saying that nobody's constitutional rights under his administration will be viewed as absolute. Uh, you, and you now have red states that are now basically saying, I'm not going to enforce a single unconstitutional law or regulation you put forth. You can make all the, you can take us to court. We're not going to do it anyway. Uh, you're now seeing, uh, and I think of one of the most extreme examples was yesterday, uh, Oregon or the city of Portland, Oregon banned doing business or trade with the state of Texas over the uh, abortion thing. And uh, so now I think uh, with the issue with like Bitcoin and what have you, uh, uh, and as I've written on this before, I think you're going to be seeing a, a very slow move to where the nation will politically balkanize between blue and red states. And eventually, as I mentioned earlier, we might have 10 to 20 years of, uh, existing as one nation before either it breaks out in a civil war, or I hope in this case, if it happens, uh, there is a peaceful uh, divorce. Yeah, I mean, we shall see what happens. If you guys haven't seen, um, again, I'm not getting paid to plug Ben Shapiro's new book, but if you haven't read Ben Shapiro's new book, The Authoritarian Moment, um, he lays out that there is a path to reconciliation, but it is not easy. So if you haven't read that, Definitely check out. It's definitely worth it. Jonathan, I want to thank you once again for coming on. Why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the Internet? Okay. I have a website, the Conservative Historical Review. Uh, uh, the web address is a, the Conservative Historical Review uh, uh, dot, uh, wordpress.com. Um, you have, uh, you have uh, also on Instagram, I'm at, uh, at jonathanp.henderson. And, and you can also find me uh, some some of my articles on Red Liberty Media. Yeah, guys. So once again, make sure to check out redlibertymedia.com. Make sure you check out John on social media. And once again, guys, please, if you can, go to empirestateconservatives.com. If you can't afford, buy something. It really does help us out there. We do have a lot of expenses and, you know, your your contribution is well appreciated. But also make sure you follow us on Facebook where we are still heavily shadow banned at Empire State Conservatives on Instagram, where we're even heavier, more shadow banned at underscore Empire State Conservatives on YouTube at Empire State Conservative Network and on all audio podcast platform, Empire State Conservatives Podcast. So for that, everybody stay safe and don't let fear take your freedom. All right.